When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so in the last few days, equities rip higher with turmoil going on in you know crypto markets that continuing. We have the dollar dropping sharply along with U.S. yields. We have crude down. We have silver continuing to rally. It's now 23% the past month. We have Biden and Xi Jinping meeting in person at G20 Bali as dollar yuan looks to break the six handle. We have all of this on the backdrop of U.S. CPI coming down to a soaring seven-handle and expectations of a December Fed rate hike dropping to 50 basis points overnight. So much going on. Is it time to take a deep breath? Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, November 14th, uh, 2022. I'm Wes Nakamura. I'm joined here today with uh, Mr. Komal Srikumar, who is president of Srikumar Global, Global Strategies. And welcome back to the Daily Briefing, Sri. How are you? Good to be back, Weston, and good to be back with you. Uh, very glad to hear. Just a quick reminder for the audience, you know, our live chat, chat function is down um, for the Real Vision site temporarily. So just drop your questions in the comment section, um, as well as, you know, live chat on YouTube and, and just tweet us at Real Vision. Now, Sri, so much is going on. And as you can see, I'm very flustered, right? But uh, I actually took the advice of Fed Governor Chris Waller, um, who was at Australia Asia Open to open up this week. Um, who said, take a deep breath, and I did. And so this is how I'm kind of processing all the things that we're going to get through today. Uh, so let me ask you before we start, Sri, are you, are you breathing okay? I'm breathing okay. Um, I probably <laughs> don't uh, appreciate the Chris Waller uh, statement com- contrasted with what Lyle Brainerd did, uh, Weston. We can talk about it. We'll, but, we'll simply uh, get I into that, yeah. Uh, I'm quite okay otherwise. Glad, glad to hear that. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into to Waller, we'll get into Brainerd, we'll get into CPI um, and all of that as well. But um, let me just um, ask you something because, you know, I know that like the crypto sector is not your area of expertise per se, but, you know, before we came on, you did mention that uh, you want to share some thoughts of, of your own, which of course, I, I you know, I'd love for uh, the audience to hear as well. So, um, if you'd like to share, you know, your thoughts, please do so. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm, I don't focus on crypto, not on specific companies, but I was keenly interested with what is going on, uh, Weston. And the reason is people come and ask me whether this is going to be a new Lehman Brothers like 2008, when we thought it was a small investment bank and letting that uh, investment bank go uh, broke would not have a big systemic effect. And we found out that the US authorities were wrong. Letting them, letting that company go was in fact a big mistake. Would something like that happen here again? There is, I think, one similarity, Weston, and one very significant dissimilarity. The similarity is that both entities, Lehman Brothers and FTX, had a huge amount of leverage built into it. 
And the leverage, especially when it is encouraged by a pronounced period of low interest rates like we had in the United States in the last two to three years, leads to unwise decisions in terms of investments. That's a similarity. The dissimilar situation is that Lehman Brothers was a quote-unquote real entity existing in the real world and connected with the banking system, connected with the housing sector, and both of those weakened as a result of what happened to Lehman. But today, we have the crypto situation, which I would say is relatively isolated in the part of the economy, and the rest of the economy goes on as if it did not exist or it didn't matter. So I think I wouldn't worry about it as much from a real economy point of view or anything like a systemic crash, even though I think that the maintenance of these, of increasing the interest rates recently very sharply, four times 75 basis points each, at the same time that we are cutting uh, the balance sheet of the Fed, is going to cause an accident. Something is going to break, but I don't think it's FTX. Well, I mean, FTX already did break, so. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, thank you for, um, for for sharing that. And, and then let's let's continue on uh, with that, with regards to the, um, uh, you know, what you were just talking about with the, the backdrop in which this was, I guess, sort of um, the, the crypto sector was allowed to really uh, get get as big as it did, and then just fall spectacularly. I mean, we're talking about 150 billion at least in market value lost in three days in crypto, which is basically more than the market cap of Goldman Sachs um, or of I think it's like Citigroup and CME both combined, right? Um, and so it it is you know material in in terms of notional you know um, notional value, but um, but let's let's talk about the you know the broader sort of Fed policy um, and and where you see that headed, right? So we mentioned uh, at the top that uh, my 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 Fed governor uh, therapist, uh, Chris Waller, basically, who told me to breathe, calm down and breathe. Um, he, that that's, uh, uh, funny enough, a very hawkish statement is what he was saying. He was saying that, you know, okay, we still have that CPI print, although it came in lower, you know, than uh, expectations, is still in the seven handle on the headline and all that. And so we still have a ton of work to do. That's one print. Um, we have, I still need to see a lot more evidence. And then he also said that the worst thing that could happen is if the Fed were to pivot or to pause, um, but also to pivot and then see CPI rise again. He said that would be the worst thing. Right. Um, and then... We, as you mentioned, we did have uh, Brainer come out, and obviously she's more senior level, but um, uh, she kind of was a little bit more hawkish, right? She said it's probably appropriate to to move to like a slower pace of rate hikes. Now she's not saying that that that's a pause or anything like that or a, a pivot. Um, you know, 50 basis points is still, you know, I mean, it's still significant <coughs> how much they did, but. Um, what do you make of that on the backdrop of that last CPI print? And does that last CPI print even matter, given that there's going to be another one coming before the, you know, the, the next FOMC? Every CPI print matters, Weston, but the thing is, it is not conclusive. Uh, we have had the situation in from 2021. We had four months in, in during the summer months in 2021, June through September, and each month 
the inflation rate was steady. It did not go up. It was 53 to 5.4% year on year, the CPI, which is probably what led Jerome Powell to make the statement that inflation was transitory, it was going to come down. Then he found, and the economy discovered that starting in October 2021, inflation started to surge. By June, we had reached a 9.1% inflation rate. So first point is, do not be complacent. There I would agree with what Chris Waller said. But the problem I have is the contradictions in the Fed. A few hours later, we had uh, Lyle Brainerd, who, number one, she said to expect a smaller rate increase pace, even starting from December. As you said, there is more data to come, but she has already decided it is going to be slower then. And she is going to cause the kind of a rally that Chris Waller is trying to avoid. What are they trying to do? Two members of the Fed, each contradicting each other. Are they trying to boost volatility in the market? Is that the objective? That's one. Second, uh, going to what Brainerd said, one of the questions she was asked during the fireside chat was as to whether a higher ceiling eventually for the federal funds rate, which is what Jerome Powell had indicated at his November 2nd press conference, whether that was something she would go with. And she did not answer that question. So does she think in a dovish fashion that it's go the ceiling is going to be lower than what her chairman thinks? Or does she mean something different? So the whole point is the Fed governors do not give a consistent message. They contradict each other in public. We have enough of uncertainty and volatility in the market, as you referred to before, Weston, we don't need these individuals to make it worse. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Yeah, indeed. And uh, this is actually a question that, uh, that we just got in from YouTube from um, SBD758, who was asking, is there a disconnect between Powell and the other Fed uh, members like Brainerd? Um, they seem to be vacillating on the path forward. And the question that's being asked, and the reason I think it's significant is because Really up until, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but up until really maybe today or so, um, like there was pretty kind of unanimous consent uh, by all of the Fed speakers who are out there publicly. Uh, they kind of all just, from from the ex-Dove Neil Kashkari on, on, on all the way up to, uh, to uh, Chair Powell, saying, we have one message, we're gonna kill inflation. And yeah, we're like, we're, we're going to, you know, like, don't, don't fight us. Don't test us. Yes. We're aware of uh, potential spillover risks into growth. We can, you know, we need to slay this inflation dragon. Uh, that is our sort of almost like single mandate at this point. Um, and now suddenly we're seeing this kind of divergence and that's why I think this, these questions are coming up. Um, why do you think that the divergence is coming up? 
suddenly first like of, yes first of all i would agree with you that the divergence is coming it is increasing but the divergence is not new at all even last week you referred to neil kashkari's statement he said it was way too premature to do any easing he wants to remain tough so taken his statement at word it would suggest that he wants a 75 basis point increase in the december meeting as well but then you had lori logan who is the president of the dallas fed and she was speaking immediately after the inflation number came out so the inflation number by then was public last thursday and she said uh, even though the inflation has come down it is still way too high for comfort so you would think that she would be for rapid rate increases if that's her view but she also said that she would like to slow down the pace of rate increases so i said go figure there is a contradiction not only between members of the fed but even the statements themselves that they make and i have a feeling they are unsure of which way to proceed there are too many uncertainties and they are not able to control it in public and the feeling of uncertainty comes out in their statements as mutually inconsistent statements coming out of them that is a big problem for investors it's a problem for the markets uh in, indeed so let me actually just throw up a, a few charts here so brian can you just throw up chart one um because i just want to um kind of just give a reminder to the audience of this past week which was really just kind of crazy in in markets you know real large globally uh, cross asset so chart one this is just simply uh cme's uh, fed watch tool and you can see that you know expectations for the december this coming december's uh fomc meeting you went from a 50 basis point rate hike at about a 50 percent probability to now it's being priced in at 81 percent. this happened like within i don't know what maybe within a day if not one or two days um chart two this is the uh this is just dollar yen which is a proxy for uh the yield you know the central bank uh, policy di divergence between a static central bank, which is the Bank of Japan, and the U.S. Federal Reserve, which is the most important globally. And so you see dollar-yen falling 5% in two days. Massive, massive move. It's the biggest uh, one-week move uh, since 2008. And you see 10-year U.S. yields uh, also sharply falling from well above the 4% handle and well below into the 3% handle. Um, uh, chart three, this is, uh, going just back to, you know, NASDAQ, um, and, and Bitcoin sort of correlation. You can see that the NASDAQ, which had a 7% rally intraday, single day rally, um, coming off of that quote unquote low CPI print. Uh, I just want to point this particular chart out though. Uh, however, because if you take a look at this chart, you'll see that from basically the eighth and the ninth. Okay, of, of last week, um, Nasdaq was dragged down by what was the turmoil that was going on in, in, in the crypto sector. Uh, so you can look at it as, yeah, Nasdaq is like rallying up like, you know, 9% from its from that CPI moment uh, to, to current. But in context of like, if you just if that if that SBF, you know, thing never happened, um, and you just kind of measure it from b before that point, the Nasdaq is up, quote unquote, only for four and a half percent. So, so just something to keep in mind for that. 
Um, and then finally, I just want to show uh, chart five, Ryan. Uh, and you were talking about kind of volatility, right? So this is what this is, is the move index, which is basically bond market volatility. Um, it's kind of the VIX of the treasury market, if you will. Uh, and the DXY index, the, the dollar spot index. And as you can see, over the long term, they kind of move together in tandem. And you saw a pretty sharp drop in bond market volatility over that, you know, the last uh, few days, uh, along with a sharp drop in the dollar. So, Sri, given all of this, especially with this last chart, do you think that, because, you know, you said that the um, this sort of messaging divergence between Fed, you know, speakers is, is going to create, you know, unnecessary market volatility. Are they trying to create unnecessary or quote, or maybe necessary market volatility because they're seeing that this this reaction, this drop in the dollar, this drop in the move index, this potential easing of financial conditions, this is not what they want. So, in order for them to, uh, you know, stoke up uh, turmoil or you know tightening of financial conditions via at least the financial uh, market sector, they're trying to do it by doing this very policy divergence and and uh, sort of dislocations and the volatility that ensues. Do you think that this is sort of 3D chess playing? Or is this just kind of, you know, disparate non-planning going on? It's an interesting hypothesis, uh, Weston, to be able to say that they probably want to boost volatility, boost the uncertainty in order to not create um, a cohesion of view toward further easing and that they, in fact, by creating the volatility, they put you more on your guard and you will not be just off to the races every time thinking it's going to be easing. That's a thought. That's a thought. But I don't think that is the case here. I think the issue here is the Fed, is, it has so many voting members and they have different points of views. And except for the so-called silent period before the FOMC meeting every uh, week or every month or every six weeks, they are free to speak as they see fit. And they do. And by doing that, and because they come from different points of view, they express them in public. But all I'm trying to say is the public good is not served. You get your opportunity to speak. Chris Waller gets the chance to go to Australia. Uh, but on the other hand, if you see what is the good it came to the market as a result of that, I probably don't think it is very much. It would be a lot better if there was a unity of view that is expressed. And let's say that it comes from Chairman Powell every, every time the FOMC meets. And he gives the statement. The rest of the members, I think, should do their work stay in their Washington, D.C. offices or the regional uh, central bank offices, wherever they may be serving, but not have to make these public statements, which I think do no public good. But boosting volatility actually detracts money coming into the equity market. If I were to say that I want to go into the equity market, I want to help capitalization of American companies, you are essentially discouraging me from doing that by creating the volatility because I think this is a market I'm not going to win. This is the one where of just a few people are going to win. So the rest of us savers do not want to put money into the stock market. And that's not a healthy situation. 
the way you can improve it is to create greater greater certainty in the overall outlook rather than increase the uncertainty as the Fed is doing today. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and on that, um, let's talk uh, a little bit more about um, the corporate sector and, and this dollar move. Um, you know, because you mentioned that, uh, well, this fall in the dollar, a very sharp fall in the dollar as of late, is good news for S&P 500 companies, um, as well as emerging markets with dollar denominated debt. But Let's talk about like yeah like the you know the SPX um, or I guess just just the, the private sector the the U.S. private sector as a whole. Um, what's your take on on that relationship with the you know the dollar impact uh, to um, to S and P five hundred companies? The dollar weakening is a positive, but if you look at even a one year or eighteen month chart, the dollar is still stronger today than it was a year ago. And the DXY dollar index, which is what I go by, hit a high of about 114. But over last week, it went from 111 to about 106. It was about a 4% weakness of the dollar, which has shown up again in the euro, for instance, which was below parity for quite a while. Now it's trading at a dollar and three cents. You talked Western about the yen and the yen dollar exchange rate changing. It's even are reflected in the British pound sterling, which is beleaguered economy today with the recession and high inflation. And even that currency, the British pound, is doing better uh, over the last week or so as a result of the developments in the United States. It's good for emerging markets. They have a lot of debt in dollar-denominated terms. Their exports are often denominated in dollars. And so even the dollar is very strong, the debt service burden increases. So it is clearly an issue. It's an improvement for them that it has come down, but we need uh, the dollar, I think, to be even weaker if you want to improve the global economy. And if that doesn't happen, and you can clearly see that if the Fed goes back to a hawkish position, if it were to raise rates by 75 basis points in December, Maybe because the next inflation number, which is going to come out before the Fed meets, is a bad one. If that happens, then you're going to see the dollar shoot up again. And so the problem, once again, is it's not done. You have a temporary mitigation of the issues, but it can all get canceled in a matter of weeks. Or a matter of hours. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Indeed. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Uh, there's one specific dollar cross that I want to uh, talk about and actually a broader region that I want to talk about, and that is China. Um, so, Brian, can you please bring up chart six? Uh, once again, this is just um, something that I want to show the audience, which is something I do every time I'm on. Uh, and I talk about this um, when I talk about USDCNH or USDCNY or USDJPY for that matter, or, or currencies at all. Um, 
the reason I'm doing this is because I'm aware that the audience is largely U.S. equity-based investors. And so I'm not talking about some weird faraway land. I'm talking about this because it directly affects your portfolio, U.S. equity-based investors. So here is a chart of USDCNH inverse. In other words, that red line, when that goes down, that's the, the Chinese yuan offshore going down and vice versa. And as of late, you could see that they, the, you know, that cross rate USDCNH is very highly correlated with the risk assets, namely the NASDAQ. Um, why is that the case? Because basically from September on, when they're really tightly correlated, and by the way, the correlation is like tick for tick intraday as well. But from that point on, basically like every risk in terms of like, you know, um, there's going to be an earning slowdown, there's going to be you know, everyone knows about war in uh, with Ukraine. Everyone knows like about these sort of risks. The one major unknown that still overhangs is China and their policy and what you know Xi Jinping is going to do before the Party Congress, after the Party Congress, zero COVID, um, their debt situation. What what are they going to do with policy, fiscal policy, monetary policy, um, and, and all of these sort of overhangs and all of these things. And so the USDC and red cross rate is a barometer of policy and of sort of market ex expectations of policy, even if it is a managed currency. So that's why I'm showing that chart. That's why I'm reminding people of what the importance is. But uh, Sri, let's talk about um, China. What are your views? I mean, we just had President uh, Biden meet with uh, Xi Jinping for like three hours or something like that um, on the sidelines of G20 uh, in Bali, and for which they came out with nothing. But I mean, were there any takeaways from that? And I guess, what are your kind of bigger picture takeaways for, for China? Great. First, the very first point you made, Weston, was regarding the exchange rate. And clearly, the Chinese yuan has appreciated significantly. Just a few weeks ago, it was at 7.35 to the dollar. And before this interview began, I was checking, and it's about 7.05. So it's a significant upward move in terms of strength. Uh, for the Chinese yuan, the currency. Why did this happen? One, I think the fact that Xi Jinping's uh, meetings, the, the, Kong, the National Party Congress is over. He has been coronated for another five years, probably for the rest of his life. And that as president, so that again, the market says, okay, it's a relief. Now that that's done, hopefully the economic measures will turn out to be positive. And what we found coming out of China soon after that was a reduction of the quarantine period for visitors coming into China. They reduced the number of days you need to be in <clears throat> at a facility or in your own hotel. So that's taken out to, to be a positive. The most important move is something that just came out, which says that the government is going to provide a stimulus package for the beleaguered real estate sector of the country. Question is, we don't know if that's going to be sufficient. But here is the issue with that portion of the package. And that is that as you give more subsidies, uh, you're going to also increase the overall level of debt of the country. And the Chinese government's debt to GDP ratio was historically for the government has been very low. The debt has been focused on the private sector. But even the government's debt is now increased from 30 or 35% of GDP to over 50% in a matter of a couple of years. So the debt is increasing even though they provide stimulus. So the risk here is that you get 
some amount of temporary advantage, temporary improvement in exchange for a longer term issue with a higher level of debt and problems ahead. So that's that that's so much for the economic and financial sectors. On the political side, you referred to the Biden Xi meeting and uh, President Biden again clearly came forth in saying his position with China with respect to Taiwan has not changed at all. And but on the other hand, if you were to look at the Chinese intentions, and again, there is a great, great book by Kevin Rudd, who is a former prime minister of Australia and who is a Mandarin speaker who was based in the Australian embassy in Beijing uh, for several years before he became prime minister, in which he outlines what motivates the Chinese importance, and that is until 200 years ago, they were the dominant country uh, economy in the whole world for two millennia, for 2000 years. And they don't want to see that change. And if you have a movement toward greater superiority, and if that's going to eventually mean that during a Xi Jinping regime, you are going to have China, Taiwan attached to mainland China, you're going to have a great global issue as to how the rest of the world is going to accept it. So once again, the meeting that the two presidents had is a big positive. I'm glad to see that they came through with uh, something like a ceasefire in terms of they're attacking each other in public. But uh, the elephant in the room is still there. It's Taiwan and it's unresolved. So in other words, you're fine for the next year, two years. But are you okay for the next 10 years? Uh, it's doubtful. Yeah, indeed. And, you know, something I tweeted about earlier today as as this was going on was I was saying that, like, yeah, so Biden and Xi, they're, they're meeting. Uh, no one's expecting anything. Um, they said that there's going to be no deliverables. However, uh, both of them respectively, Xi Jinping uh, as well as President Biden, are both coming off of their respective, like, so China Party Congress. Now that's behind uh, U.S. midterms. Now that's behind. So both can now at, at least they could potentially tone down their respective like theater of you know playing to their own domestic image conscious like behavior of of being like you know tough on China, tough on the U.S. And you know fine, that's what they have to do respectively. It's fine. But now that 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 kind of at least that part of the theater is over, maybe something will you know something less unproductive i won't say productive what could come of it um but then what came of it was we both agree that nuclear war is bad <laughs> but um but but yeah but I, I i do agree with you and and look the the flood of headlines coming out of china uh that directly impact global markets um as well as obviously the the chinese economy as a whole um and the global sort of macro environment it has been like kind of like stunning and contradictory too right so because you mentioned before about um zero covid policy restrictions starting to ease up a little but that's happening at the same time that covid cases are like skyrocketing in china at the same time right um so are those contradictory or are those kind of in tandem you know something like that right um or like you were talking about the property sector and and the um the the, the support for that but then again is that going to be enough um, because if there's not enough demand, who like who wants to buy a house in China right at this point? Um, and and so how do they sort of stoke that? And so are they are they? Um, I guess my question, my broader question is, do you think that 
post-party Congress um, and Xi Jinping seeming to interact more with the world via world leaders, and you know, physically going to the G20 and all that, is are, are, is is the is the kind of mission get becoming more economically prioritized uh, than it was previously, or or not so much? Yeah, clearly the economic priorities have become to the to the forefront, as you mentioned, and it's an excellent point, Weston, namely that both the Chinese and American presidents do not have political issues right in front of them. Um, Xi Jinping has been confirmed. President Biden is finished with the midterm and he's uh, coming out in glowing colors after the midterm results. So both of them are happy. But that being said, the contradictions that you refer to are very much present. Uh, the zero COVID may be slightly eased in terms of what has happened, but as you noted, the COVID cases are increasing and that will not change unless you have good vaccines. And I, I think the issue there is not having a vaccine which is domestically produced that works well. And the unwillingness to get something from foreign sources, American or European vaccines, which have worked better. And so once again, nationalism comes to it. I'm not going to get some an, an, an American vaccine because I don't want to show that my Chinese vaccine is inferior. If that dominates the thinking, you're going to have more cases of COVID, more deaths before things stabilize. So that is, I think, the crucial contradiction which takes place here. How this will get resolved is unclear because I don't think there's going to be a 180 degree turn and the Chinese government will say, now we accept our, our vaccines are not working so well. We have decided to get uh, Pfizer, Moderna vaccines instead. No, that's not going to happen. But how that is going to get resolved, meaning that are you going to have more of uh, a lockdowns taking place and more slowdown in economic growth relieved by further kind of dislocation, such as increasing the spending further, you get into this endless uh, um, circle of putting restrictions, which slows growth. Then you come back, you increase spending, which to boost growth, but then you haven't conquered uh, COVID. So you lock down again and it's a never ending cycle. And I couldn't tell you how they are going to get out of it. But I all I can say is, this looks like it's a promising move to go down in terms of the COVID um, lockdowns. Uh, but unless you have a good vaccine, uh, it is not going to be a permanent cure. Yeah, indeed. And I just want to note that um, I think so Bloomberg, um, for like people who have like, like the Bloomberg professional terminals, the ones that cost like $24,000 per year per person for subscription, um, they just like recently, I think like one or two weeks ago, they put out like a some sort of metric or tracker um, of um, COVID cases in China. It's like very in-depth and all that. And like by region, how many cases, I, I don't know exactly what the, um, you know, the, the parameters are. But my point about that is that that is now on sitting on the institutional dashboard of uh, buy side and sell side desks everywhere. And so presumably, um, markets, if they, as global markets are, as I showed in my charts, um, moving to the beat of what is happening in China, and those capital, those with with institutional firepower, are looking at 
you know, COVID cases in China to potentially make their buy or sell decisions and or systematic uh, flows and algos being programmed as such, these are sort of metrics that are going to become relevant to your U.S. equity portfolio, U.S. equity investors. So that's something that you really need to keep uh, close eye on. So uh, look, we're, um, we're kind of right over time. I just want to wrap things up here, um, Sri. So like, you know, I've had a very, uh, you know, sort of broad-based conversation that I really enjoyed with you here. Uh, which we had more time, but basically what you're saying is that, so the US CPI print with regards to that, yes, that was significant, but let's not be complacent with one CPI print. Um, and, you know, with regarding uh, this divergence with public messaging amongst Fed speakers and all that, um, that divergence is not serving, you know, the, the investing community and the American public well. And it's going to lead to unnecessary market volatility um, and, you know, policy uh, uncertainty in the near term uh, is going to be reintroduced. Um, you have the dollar drop of, as of late. That's a, that's a good thing for the SPX, you know, in, uh, index consist constituents as well as EM, uh, you know, markets with dollar denominated debt. Uh, as long as the you know dollar does uh, re retreat and maintain that retreat. Right. Um, and then finally on China, you know, the yuan strength of late, you know, as, as dollar yuan is basically right at the cusp of breaking into that six handle, um, that's significant. But amongst the flood of headlines, really the most important one that you're keeping an eye on is this, you know, the, the d biggest development out of China is this sort of assistance and help to the property sector that is coming, that has um, uh, been announced. And, you know, to uh, what degree that that actually makes a difference and if it is even enough or, you know, if, if demand comes back for that, that we have yet to see, but at least that that uh, is a positive development. Um, but again, you still have contradictions between policy priorities um, uh, amongst different factions, just like everywhere else that we were just discussing too. So is that more or less sort of a, a good sum up of our discussion here? That That's an excellent summary, Weston. I couldn't have done better. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Sri, and thank you for your thoughts on uh, crypto as well. Um, I, I know, you know, I, I'm always, I, I like, I personally like to hear takes from people who aren't really necessarily, you know, have, have their eyes glued to it. But, you know, when something like this happens, everybody is aware of it. Everyone has a view on it. You know, I mean, it's, it's so it, it's helpful for me, you know, because I'm looking at my FTX Japan account, which is at zero, you know, uh, account balance is at zero. Uh, I should probably mention that it was at zero, like, months ago, so not really week over week change, so it really has nothing to do with anything. But that aside, um, but I was I found that interesting too. So thank you for sharing that. You're um, thank you. Yeah, and, and and let's get you back on uh, maybe in another month where we'll be a whole different world again. But uh, for everyone else, thanks for watching the uh, Real Vision Daily Briefing. Maggie Lake will be back tomorrow with Dale Pinkert and have a wonderful day and have a wonderful week. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.